Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Krista Gunnier Saturdays. It is Saturday, August, no, I'm sorry, September 3rd, 2011. That's how fast the year's going. I can't keep track of the months. It, it's going way fast. I mean, I, I feel like um, a few weeks ago it was January, and the year was just beginning, and now it's just about over. It's incredible. If those days weren't shortened, none of the elect would be left, right? I feel like I feel like that. That's what it's talking about. I think Clifton's having a problem. He has a flu. Nevertheless, I have Clifton Emmerheiser here with me tonight, who we hear coughing in the background. And and um, Clifton and I are going to speak about Charlotte of Mecklenburg, who was the queen to King George III in in the um. The closing decades, I guess, of the 18th century. The, the um, that there's a problem in Christian identity with with scholarship. There always is, and it seems that some people are too readily accepting Afrocentric views of history because it happens to fit a certain agenda. Since when have we started learning history from the enemy? We, we should, if a Jew moves his lips, he's lying, and, and if a Negro moves his lips, he's repeating a Jewish lie. But we should never learn our history from the enemy. And, and, and what we need to be good scholars, because what we believe is so far removed and, and contrary to what people are taught in the mainstream. And for that reason, we should be twice the scholars as the people in the mainstream. And, and we should document and study everything that we say very carefully. And, and it seems that some other, um, I don't, I don't want to mention his name. I don't know if Clifton will. It don't matter to me. But some other identity teacher has taken this Afrocentric rumor that Charlotte of Mec- Mecklenburg, who was King George's, um, queen consort and, and George III and, and this Afrocentric rumor that she was somehow a mulatto, and he's run with it because it happens to fit some agenda he has concerning the British royal house. But it's a lie. It, it's a straight lie. Charlotte of Mecklenburg was by no means a mulatto. And tonight I have Clifton Emmerheiser here to talk about that. Hello, Clifton. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm glad that you uh, give him a rundown because um, – and I think, uh, I think it would be a good idea to go to page 11 – and re- read the definition, or I'll read it if I can get through it. Read the definition of more, more uh, from the World Book uh, Encyclopedia, it's 1970, um, the year of that particular encyclopedia. <clears throat> and and the, the uh, first two paragraphs, um, there are three paragraphs to it, and, and, and the third one is the important one, so I'll... I'll start reading now. More, in ancient history, the Romans called the people of northwestern Africa, M-A-U-R-I, or Mari, and the religion, or, and the region they lived in, Mauritania. These people uh, belonged to a large, uh, larger group, the Berbers, and it, they instructed to also see Berbers. The Berbers became Muslims and adopted Arabic as their language. They joined the Arabs 
in conquering Spain during the 700s, um, the so-called Moorish civilization of the Middle Ages was in large part Arabic. The Moors uh, most uh, lost most. <coughs> excuse me. The Moors lost much of their uh, land in Spain by 1276. In 1492, Ferdinand and Isabel of Spain drove out the last Moors. Most of the uh, refugees settled in North Africa. <clears throat> Today, the term Moor may refer uh, to all inhabitants of northwestern Africa who are Muslims and who speak Arabic or it can refer to Muslims of Spanish, Jewish, or Turkish descent um, who live in North Africa. The, the second paragraph is <clears throat> the term more, uh, it's M-O-O-R uh, in its French form, M-A-U-R-E, designates the nomads of the Western Sahara in Africa. The term more also applies to the Arab uh, Sinhalese uh, Muslims in Ceylon. Uh, in the form M-O-R-O, -O, uh, Moro, it refers to Muslims who live in the southern Philippines. So that's quite a ways from there. So the important paragraph now is a common but incorrect belief that the Moors are Negroes was spread by William Shakespeare's play Othello, that's O-T-H-E-L-L-O. -E uh, Moors belong to the Mediterranean group of Cassicoid white race. And uh, the guy that wrote this uh, for World Book was Vernon Robert, uh, D-O-R-J-A-H-N, and sometimes J is pronounced like a what, a Dorian or something like that. And then uh, I underlined that whole paragraph, so I uh, wrote down here, emphasis mine, and, and I signed my initials. Well, well, let me give a little background as to why we're talking about the Moors. Queen Charlotte was from the Portuguese royal house. And... Well, when she married into the German nobility, right? And, and it was a noble... A, a noble marriage because they were both nobility. That this is this that this is at a time when the Portuguese royal house was, of course, still white, and, and most of the people of Portugal were actually um, still white, or, or at least mostly white. There were some mixed people in Portugal, but the, the Negroes hadn't um, spread throughout the Portuguese population yet to the extent that they have today at this time. Well, well, Queen Charlotte has six generations before her. I'm sorry, six generations before Queen Charlotte, we have um, Margarita de Castro y Salsa. She is from the Portuguese royal house. In the 15th century, long before Portuguese, the, the Portuguese started bringing Negroes into Portugal. Now, this uh, Margarita de, Ca de Castro y Salsa, or Sousa, I might be mispronouncing it, right? She has nine generations before her. 
she has a woman in her genealogy named Madragana. And, and Madragana, I might be butchering that name too, Madragana was from the south of Spain, from lands that the Moors controlled. Now, some historians say that Madragana was a Christian Spaniard, which may have meant a, a Goth, right? But was a Christian Spaniard who lived in lands that the Moors control. Some try to say that she may have been a Jewess, which is um, unproven and unprovable. And some say that she was a Moor. And, and our point tonight is first to show that most of the Moors of the period were still white. They, they were still white, even though they were Muslims, and, and even though they had been ruled over by the Arabs, they were still, a, to a great degree, white people, and, and we're going to demonstrate that from some of the histories tonight. Now, secondly, if indeed Charlotte was a mulatto, and she's the only royal queen, or, or royal, she's the only member of the nobility from this period that they try to assert was a mulatto. And the problem with that is that Charlotte had many brothers, sisters, and cousins in the European nobility who had also descended from this queen, this Portuguese queen, Margarita de Castro y Sousa. So, so a lot of them would be mulattoes. A lot of them would have mulatto features, and not just this one woman six generations later. And is that is that fair reasoning, Clifton? Yeah, it, it's it's fair to me. So, so this is why we're addressing this issue tonight because the the, the propagandists are trying to say this one woman was a mulatto, and, and Will Clifton has the reasons for that in his papers. And if this one woman was a mulatto, then half of the, the nobles in Europe have to be mulattoes. And, and yet this one woman was clearly not a mulatto, and certain people in Christian identity are, are caving in to a ridiculous Afrocentric view of Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg because it fits their agenda concerning the, the current royalty. Well, uh, what they're doing is they're taking pages out of uh, black history uh, through the mouthpiece of the Negroes, the uh, Nubian Times, and repeating it as if it were uh, the gospel truth. Right. Well, well, absolutely. And they're doing more damage than they're doing good. And 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 the guy that's doing it, he claims to be two seed lines. Well, as far as I can see that, uh, uh, we've managed uh, through the, uh, the last dozen of years or so to get one step ahead in you know uh, and get one seed line going again. It was almost dead, and and here we are taking two steps backwards. Well, well, right, absolutely. When we start following Negro Afrocentric writers, uh, I mean, we're in trouble. And, and that's that they have nothing true to say but i really i really believe that um uh queen charlotte was also um uh, of the uh, different places it it shows that she was uh um, of the tribe that uh we we get the uh 
um, today we call call these people go around uh, tearing things up. We call them vandals, and and see the vandals were in North Africa uh, around um, uh, 450. Uh, it, it was it was after Christ, uh, so it then. About 450 uh, A.D., the Vandals were down there, and of course they went from there, and and then they come up and sacked Rome, and and uh, th- that's when Vandal become a uh, a dirty name because uh, the Vandals even cut down the fruit trees, and that's that's something we were instructed in the um, Old Testament that you don't cut down the the, the fruit trees, but but. Uh, uh, I, I don't know how much other damage they did, but that's one of the things they did. But uh, <clears throat> uh, what I wanted to do then is kind of show the 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 white history of of North Africa, and I and and I I wrote. Uh, see, I'm I've got four lessons already written on this. I, I got a little bit to write at the end of the fourth one. Uh, I, I got 162, 163, 164, and 165, and I, I still got uh, a couple pages to do on 165, and I'll have uh, four full lessons on it. But in uh, Washington Teaching Letter uh, 164, and, and I was uh, reading what I was, uh, 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 um, an excerpt from the Encyclopedia Britannica, that would be the ninth edition, and uh, I put it in my own words. <clears throat> um, the first known occupants of Mauritania were the white Israelite Phoenicians uh, who settled colonies all around the uh, western Mediterranean along both the uh, northern and southern shorelines. In Mauritania alone, Strabo uh Chapter 17, Section 826, speaks of 300 cities on the Mauritanian coast uh, beyond the Pillars of Hercules. As a result, the Phoenician colonists and Carthaginians, uh, <laughs> I'm twisting that word there, Carthaginians, Carthaginians stamped West Africa with a thoroughly Phoenician character. Uh, including their language, and this was from the 1894 uh, Encyclopedia Britannica 9th edition, volume 18, page uh, 819. Well, well, right, and I would like to talk about that just a minute, Yeah, and, and because I have one disagreement on it. And, yeah, and I'll, I, I understand that, and I wish you would uh, show you where you disagree with it partially. Well, well right, when, when, um, when I get to proofreading 164, well, when you send it to me, I'll be correcting it. Um, uh, okay, the Carthaginians, the, the Phoenicians, right, settled Carthage. According to Josephus, they settled Carthage, and, and Josephus is quoting the translator of the Tyrian archives, Menander, okay, Menander of, of Ephesus, I believe, and, and um, Menander had had translated the Tyrian archives into Greek, and wow, would that be a find today. I would love to have that, because that's the Chronicles of the Kings of Tyre that he translated, but it's lost to us. Josephus quoted portions of it in Against Appion, 
And according to him, Dido was the foundress of Carthage, which is the Greco-Roman legend, right? The Queen Dido, who was from Tyre, she was the sister of Pygmalion. Shakespeare also did a play on Pygmalion. I hope he didn't render Pygmalion as black, right? Um, Pygmalion was definitely white, and, and so was Dido. In fact, the Romans described Dido as having as being a stunning beauty with blonde hair, right? They called her beautiful blonde Phoenician Dido, and that's Virgil in the first century B.C., so, so that's Virgil, even if Dio wasn't that beautiful and that blonde, that is Virgil's ideal Phoenician. They were white. They had blonde hair. They were fair-skinned. And, and, um, but, but according to Josephus and, and his quotations of Menander, Tyre, Tyre sent out this colony to Carthage and founded it, 155 years approximately after the building of the temple by Solomon. And, and that's, give or take, I, I would put that at around 800 B.C. And, and that, that, that's basically an agreement with the archaeologists and, and, and the profane historians. Now, um, the, the Carthaginians and the Phoenicians in general settled many ports along the African coast, and eventually made their way to Iberia, and there's no doubt. However, and, and beyond that, to Britain, right, and, and the western coast of Africa. However, there was a people already there that the Greeks knew as Libyans. And the Libyans, and, and they're represented in, I believe, the white Berbers of recent times. There are still some white Berbers, and I have pictures on, of them right now, at christagenia.org slash Berbers. If you go to http dot colon slash slash christagenia.org slash Berbers, and, and you'll see um, five pictures of white Berbers. Now, they are not the typical Berbers. Most of the Berbers of today are dark and, and um, brown-skinned because they have been subsumed into the Arab races, but there is still a remnant of very fair-skinned, blue-eyed, blonde, white Berbers. And, and those, I believe, are the leftover remnant of the original Berbers. And they spoke a Hamitic tongue. And, and it, it's still recognized to be a Hamitic tongue, akin to the ancient language of Egypt. And they are a remnant of the original Hamites, the Hamitic tribes of, of Lud and, and that we see in Genesis 10 in the Bible that weren't Canaanites, that, that had settled um, along the northern coast of Africa before the Phoenicians. And, and the, the Greek classics, Aeschylus describes the women of Libya in a manner where one can expect them to be ethnically homogenous with the, the women of Greece and Rome and, and the other women in the Mediterranean. They were white, fair women. And, and he described them as beautiful white women. And, and the... Um, The, the historians, Theodore Siculus especially, and Strabo, both tell us that the Carthaginians or the Phoenicians had settled among the cities, cities where the Libyans lived, and they were called after that Libby Phoenicians for a long time. They, they called them Libby Phoenicians rather than just Phoenicians, right? So I just wanted to clarify that. But they were all white. 
that they were all clearly white. They could all be traced to biblical tribes, Genesis 10 tribes. And, and of course, the Phoenicians themselves were the northern tribes of Israel. Maybe you'll want to read this. You have a quote here from the um, ninth edition of Encyclopedia Britannica from Strabo on this. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I can read that. Um, uh, most uh, That's uh, the previous paragraph there uh, that I wrote out without quotation marks, but I did uh, point to where I got it from. <clears throat> I found that uh, I was surprised to find... Um, the ninth edition Britannica. My search engine found it when I was looking for uh, for this for this for these other things. So I uh, for this paper I, I uh, highlighted and pasted over to, to this paper. So the exact words of the Britannica uh, uh, um, uh, of the ninth edition are. Quote, most of the African colonies were no doubt younger. We have dates for Azoa, A-Z-O-A, 887 to 855, Meander, and Carthage, 814, Timaeus. Uh, is that another writer, uh, Bill, is Timaeus, or are you familiar with that? Are you there, Bill? Yeah, yes. What you're looking at is the dating of the African colonies of the Phoenicians as it can be told from Greek writers. That's what they're okay, telling. Okay, I see. And Aosa was a city founded around 887 to 855, according to Menander, and Carthage was founded around 814, according to Tamahius, and, and um, so forth. Uh, here, as generally... Uh, in like cases, the farthest points were uh, settled first, and the need for intermediate stations to secure connection was felt later. The uh, colonization was carried out on a great scale. Ophelas, O-P-H-E-L-A-S, Strabo, uh, uh, Chapter 17, Section 826, well, well, no, that's uh, Ophelis was allegedly, according to Strabo, um, from what they could tell of Strabo's writing, founded approximately 826 by the Phoenicians. Oh, I and, see. And Strabo's 17th book. I'm, I'm not getting the context right. May exaggerate uh, when he speaks of 300 cities uh, on on the Mauritanian coast uh, beyond the pillars of Hercules. Well, I'd say if it was only 150 cities would be a, a, a good quantity of cities. Well, well, right, but sometimes the, the word city is used pretty loosely, right? And, and Strabo could have easily written 300 cities, and I didn't check the citation for this program. My Strabo is upstairs, right? Most of my classics are upstairs. But... um. I would think that 300 cities, towns, and villages, when, when we have Libyans and Phoenicians living along the western and northern coast of Africa, and, and I'm talking from Carthage west, outside the gates of Hercules, outside the Straits of Gibraltar, and down the coast, 
that is a considerable amount of land. There aren't any blacks in this land at this time, and and these white races are allowed to live in this very fertile land unmolested. And, and I, I don't see a problem with having that many cities, towns, and villages. You, you know, 300 is not a large number. Uh, I mean, New Jersey is 7,000 square miles and, and has over 500 cities. Well, and, and I, I think the picture we should get out of this is, is that all of North Africa, including um, the eastern part of uh, North Africa, which would include, include Egypt, it was basically a, a, a white population throughout. Well, well, absolutely, and it was a very numerous white population. And I think I think people today, when they when they consider, they think the same people that living there now are the people the people that were living there then. The Egyptians that we see now over there, uh, they aren't the uh, people that used to be there. Those people over there in Egypt today are, are part Mameluk. And that's a Turkish tribe. Well, well, yes, they are. They're part Turk and, and they're part Negro and, and they're part Nubian and part Arab. And, and well, let me talk about the Arabs first. And, and um, the, Arab, the word Arab means mixed. And from the biblical viewpoint, the only peoples that were in Arabia at the time of the biblical writers were basically white peoples, the white people of Genesis 10. But a lot of those peoples were mixed with the Kenites and the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Horites, and they're all the Canaanite tribes of, of, of the enemies of God. And Arabia or, or the, the Arab lands to the west of, of Palestine were, were basically the lands that the Ammonites, Moabites, and Arab Amorites dwelt in, and, and that was considered Arabia because all those tribes were mixed up with each other. So the people were considered Arabs. But today, looking at those people, they would be apparently white. They would, even though they were Arabs to the Hebrews, they would still be apparently, for the most part, they would be white. And, and most, um, the common Americans that looked at these people today would consider them white. And that was how the Edomites, who were basically Arabs by this time, they had mixed with the Ishmaelites, they had mixed with the Canaanite Horites. These people, the Edomites, were still apparently white people. And it, it it was only through a thousand years of Islamic trading in slaves from Africa and from India and from the South Pacific that the the, the, the dark Arabs had, had um come to take the the, the um, preponderance of the people became mixed with this dark blood and and it's the blood of the former slaves. But, but for the longest time, most of these people were white. Most of the people in Northern Africa were white. And today, some of them still are. But by now, most of them are Arabs. Most of them are mixed. Well, where a thousand years ago, they were almost all white. Some of them may have been Arabs, but they were very light-skinned Arabs. And some of them 
were certainly Canaanites, but the Canaanites were originally white. They they weren't a hundred percent Adamic, but they were apparently white people. If they weren't apparently white, then they would have never been able to infiltrate and intermingle with, with the white races of of, of the um, of, of Palestine and the Levant, because the Israelites and the Syrians and and the Persians and the Assyrians were all definitely white. So so it's to to um, think that the Moors were automatically black when they had been white for a thousand years. That there's a thousand years of records that say that the people of Mauritania were white. And yes, it's a bad thing that the Moors got up into Spain and, and kept it for so long. That's not a good thing because they were Muslims, because they had Canaanite and Arab blood among them, and because Muslims Islam refuses to make racial racial distinctions. In Islam, properly, there are no racial distinctions. So it's a religion that lends to race mixing, where Christianity, early real Christianity, forbid race mixing. So, so that's the primary difference. And, and it's a bad thing that the Arabs took many black slaves and because Islam lends to race mixing, they had no problem race mixing with their black slaves. But that doesn't mean when the Arabs conquered Northern Africa that all the Northern Africans were automatically black, when in fact most of them were still white for quite some time. Well, the main time when, when uh, North Africa became Arab was under uh, Muhammad, and that would, that would be in the... Um, Muhammad was born, I think, in the uh, late 500 sometime, and 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 uh, so um, uh, Muhammad and the Turks that took over after him, you know, that would take you up to around 700. That's when the when the uh, a large part of Africa became became uh, Arab. And of course, I think it was 705 that Carthage fell to the Arabs. It, it may have been a year or two. I might be a year or two off, but it was right around 705 A.D. that Carthage. Carthage was Byzantine and Germanic at the time, the Vandals and, and the Byzantine Romans. And, and the, the, there was still an original Roman and Phoenician population in northern Africa. And... It was 705 A.D. when Carthage fell to the Arabs, and it became ruled by Arabs. But that didn't automatically turn all of those white people brown. It did very quickly turn them to the Islamic religion, but they didn't become brown people for many hundreds of years. Yeah, it took some time, time to, uh, for that, that to come about. Well, well, right, and there's still a remnant of white Berbers in Africa today that that proves the history that we're presenting. Yeah, they, that, say, they say they have blonde hair and blue eyes, and and uh, they'd, they'd be hard to um, identify. It'd be hard not to identify them as as white Casphoid people. Right, and and aside from all the white slaves that the Arabs of North Africa. North Africa, for, for hundreds of years, they pillaged the coasts of Europe. 
and 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 raided the villages on the coasts of Europe and brought white slaves back to Northern Africa. See, that's so, what we don't we don't hear about the white slave trade that the uh, that the Arabs car- uh, carried on. Well, well, right. It was a huge white slave trade. There was a huge white slave trade. The Arabs, you see, Islam forbids Muslims from holding Muslim slaves. But it doesn't forbid Muslims from holding people of other religions as slaves. So when the Muslims, when the Arabs of northern Africa, after they had converted all the common people to Islam, and the white people of Mauritania and, and Libya became Muslims, they could no longer hold them as slaves. So now they have to look to the outside world for their slaves. And they got their slaves from two places, from the Negroes of sub-Saharan Africa and from, from the whites of the coasts of Europe. Yeah, I was going to uh, – uh, yeah, I, I know about the whites, and I also read about how the, the – um, it wasn't against their law to take blacks, so so there was uh, some blacks as as uh, early as um, the seven hundreds among the um, Arabs. Well, well, right, and and that's why you know after um, a thousand years of that slave trade, we have such a such a high number of blacks in Northern Africa today. But the um, Britannica uh, continues on, but the uh, colonists and the Carthaginians after them stamped West Africa with a thoroughly Phoenician character, and their language was dominant, uh, at least in the cities, uh, far beyond the limits of the um, nationality, just as was the case with the Latin and the Arab Arabic in later times. Uh, did you want to read Strabo's uh, the uh, um, the paragraph? Well, well, what you have here is you you have Strabo from Book Seventeen, and it says Carthage was founded by Dido, who brought her people from Tyre. Now, now let me say that there were hundreds of colonies from Tyre in in the five hundred years before Carthage. And, and the Tyrians had settled great parts of Anatolia. They settled parts of, of Thessaly, which we later knew as, as part of Greece. They settled parts of, um, that they settled all the islands of the Mediterranean from, from Malta and Sicily and, and, and Corsica and, and, um, and, and Cyprus all the way to, to the, the coasts of Iberia. They, they settled at or around what what became later Massilia or Marseille, there was a Phoenician settlement there before the Phokian Greeks came and founded Marseille. Uh, okay, and, and, and they were in Iberia and Britain. They were mining tin in Britain for a thousand years before the time of Tacitus. They were mining tin in Britain at the time of Solomon, according to the ancient Greek historians. Yeah, and evidently they, that's where Solomon got some of these uh, didn't David uh, gather a lot of the materials for the temple, and then Solomon was the one that uh, put it together? Well, well, yes, and and that's very plausible. That seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. Now, now the um, the the Tyrians helped 
gather those materials for the temple. The ships of Tarshish of the time of Solomon are actually Phoenician ships traveling back and forth from Tyre to Iberia, because that's where Tarshish was. And Herodotus writes about Tartessus in southern Spain and explains how in, in the time of Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, which would have been about 200 years before Solomon's ships of Tarshish, Tar- Tartessus was not yet a famous port, that it didn't become a famous port until after the, the Trojan Wars. And, and he's talking about the, the very Hebrew trade with, with the Tartessians of southern Spain. Yeah, now that part of the history I'm not familiar with. I, I'm glad you're bringing it up uh, uh, well, well, the for my benefit and for the others that may may need to know about it too. The, the Phoenicians were Israelites of the northern tribes of Israel. That could be established. There are papers at Christogenia that prove that. Yeah, and what five tribes uh, of Israelites uh, uh, were among the Phoenicians? Well, well they were primarily Asher and Gad and Zebulun and Naphtali and, and some Dan, and, and they were all the northern tribes. Uh, you named five of them, I think, uh, uh, one time to me, and uh, I wrote them down. And well, well, right. Now, I was probably right when I named five, but I can't think of the, the fifth one right now, right? That's funny. <laughs> I, I don't want to just throw one up there. But, but, but Zebulun and Naphtali, the, Tyre was in the land of Asher. It was controlled I got it by here. Um, Asher, Zebulun, uh, Gad, and Naphtali. I, I didn't have it. Oh, Dan. Dan, Asher. Zebulun, Gad, and Naphtali. Well, well, the Danans were constantly confused with the Phoenicians, right? Because they were from the same place, had the same customs. Actually, Sardinia, to give an example, Sardinia, actually the name in ancient inscriptions has been found to be Sardana. And I would assert that that means a remnant of Dan, because that word... Sar, or sometimes Shar, is actually a Hebrew word that means remnant. So, so we see that Sardinia got its name from Dan. And, and that is the ancient inscriptions found on the island called it Shardana or Sardana. So uh, it, it's, we're not out of place if we assume that a lot of the white people in North Africa that were considered uh, Phoenicians were of these five tribes. Well, well, they were absolutely Israelites, and they were probably mostly of those tribes, yes. The, um, and there's a lot of iconography in the archaeology of those regions that proves that, because that it's, that the, the, um, the Carib or the Sphinx was, was a very, um, common symbol among the Phoenicians, and they left them everywhere. They left, they've been found all over the coast of northern Africa, Iberia, the, 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 the Italian islands. That they've, The Sphinx has been dug up in very many places wherever they were, the Phoenicians settled. So now Carthage, which became the most famous Phoenician city, according to Strabo, was founded by Dido, and that's true. That's what Josephus tells us. That's what the Tyrian archives of Menander tell us that Josephus quotes, who brought her people from Tyre. 
both this colony and the settlements in Spain and beyond the pillars, meaning outside the Straits of Gibraltar, proved so successful to the Phoenicians that even to the present day they occupied the best parts of the continent of Europe and the neighboring islands. And by that he means Britain and Ireland and the Canary Islands and, and the Balearic Islands and, and all of the, um, the yeah, Sicily and, and the Phoenicians still settled, had, had settlements in Sicily at the time. And, and they're the neighboring islands to, to Europe, right? They obtained possession of the whole of Africa <laughs> with the exception of such parts as could only be held by nomad tribes. And let me say that the Libby Phoenicians were never able to subdue the white Berbers who were more nomadic and in the interior. In other words, the Phoenicians really only controlled the coasts, and, and, and the white Berbers controlled the interior. The Phoenicians could never subdue them, and the Romans never really subdued them. From the power they acquired, they raised a, a city to rival Rome, meaning Carthage, and it did, and waged three great wars against her, the Punic Wars. Their power became most conspicuous in the last war, in which they were vanquished by Scipio, Amelianus, and their city was totally destroyed. And, and that's when the Romans had actually sowed Carthage with salt, so that nobody could live there, because nobody could grow food there, right? For the commence, for, at the commencement of this war, they possessed 300 cities in Africa, and the population of Carthage amounted to 700,000 inhabitants, which is considerable, but let me say that Jerusalem at its peak probably had about 2 million and, and Rome probably had more than that. Jerusalem was, was at one time the second city of the Mediterranean to Rome. And, and Rome, I, I want to say that Rome, ancient Rome had as many as four million, but I don't know if I would be exaggerating. After being besieged and compelled to surrender, they delivered up 200,000 complete suits of armor. So they had advanced metallurgy, right? And 3,000 engines were throwing projectiles, apparently with the intention of abandoning, abandoning all hostilities. But having resolved to recommence the war, they at once began to manufacture arms and daily deposited in store 140 finished shields, 300 swords, 500 lances, and 1,000 projectiles for the engines, for the use of which the women servants contributed their hair. And it is probably to use as, as twine, right, or, or rope. In addition to this, although at this moment they were in possession of only 12 ships, according to the terms of the treaty concluded in the Second War, talking about the Punic Wars, and had already taken refuge in a body at the Bursa, yet in two months they equipped 120 decked vessels. These people were not Negroes, right? Well, you know, if they was using the hair... A, a nigger, a woman's, a nigger woman's hair wouldn't uh, be uh, good to use to launch projectiles with. You know, hair has a tremendous tensile strength, and, and you twine it together, and, and it's strong. They, they needed something stronger than than uh, than uh, twine or something like that you get from. You, you make from uh, weeds or straw in the field. And as the mouth of the coffin was closed against them, I'm not sure exactly what river he means there, they cut another outlet to the sea through which the fleet suddenly made its appearance. I guess the coffin was probably the major river at, the, at, at where 
where Carthage was located. For wood had been collected for a long time, and a multitude of the workmen were constantly employed who were maintained at the public expense. Carthage, though so great, was yet taken and leveled to the ground. That happened after the last of the Punic Wars in the 2nd century B.C. The Romans made a province of that part of the country, which had been subject to Carthage, and appointed ruler of the rest, of the rest of the cities, Messanases, that looks like a, 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 a corruption of Manasseh, right? And his descendants, beginning with Mechipsa, for the Romans paid particular attention to Massanasses on account of his great abilities and friendship for them. So, so that's Strabo on on well, well Strabo's book seventeen. Well, you know, he, he, we haven't gone very far in this thing, and and there's just no way that a Moor could be a Negro. Well, well, right, they were all white, and, <laughs> and the Romans two, made many Negro settlements. Slaves that they took. Right. Well, when the Romans had, had um, well, well, the Romans didn't believe in intermarriage at all. Roman government, and, and there are many citations that can prove this in um, in, in history. The Roman government granted specific rights of marriage and intermarriage to certain to people of certain regions. And, and you couldn't just marry, if, if you were a Syrian, you couldn't just marry a Gaul, or, or you couldn't just marry a, a Latin, or, or, or a, um, or a Phokian, or, or anybody from an Athenian. You couldn't just go get married. Oh, I fell in love with this Athenian, we're gonna get married. And they were all white! They were all white! A Macedonian just couldn't marry somebody from Palestine. That wasn't allowed. They had specific rules during the Roman Empire on who could marry who. And and your if your province or, or tribe was granted the rights of intermarriage with another tribe or province, only then could you think about marrying a person from that tribe or province. And and there's a lot of citations. And and when the Romans took Mauritania, those same rules would have applied. The same rules as to who could marry who would have applied. And they wouldn't just let Negroes from sub-Saharan Africa. If they wouldn't let white Syrians marry white Athenians, they're sure as hell not going to let Negroes marry, ma- marry Berbers or, 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 or Moors. It's not going to happen. Yeah, they and, did, and they really also, didn't start doing that in, in, uh, uh, in, in mass until our present time. Well, well, right. That's this idea that anybody could marry anybody they want is relatively new and has come to us through the humanism that we found in the French Revolution and the Enlightenment. And, and even then, it was only accepted with. with um, But with a great struggle, right? Because there are still a lot of our people today that don't accept it. It's been forced down our throats. It's a Jewish agenda that's been forced down our throats. But in Roman times, you couldn't marry anybody you wanted to. And, and there's all sorts of, of of historical citations that could prove that. <clears throat> 
Well, on they, they had rights of intermarriage, and, and your province had to be granted rights of intermarriage in, in order to intermarry people of any other province. Uh, the one place their own made a se- exception is when they when they went broke, you know, as they as they on their decline, you know. And I recorded that in one of my lessons I got out of an old history book. Um, they uh, uh, see everybody couldn't be a Roman citizen, and and they they got into financial trouble, and they 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 decided to uh, make the slaves. And a lot, a lot of the slaves were uh, other peoples, you know. And uh, they decided to, uh, uh, you know, for for taxing purposes and the, to run the government and everything, they decided to make the um, uh, the slaves in, in the in the Roman Empire, uh, you know, give them citizenship. Well, once they give them citizenship, then they had to allow the intermarriage. And that's how that's how Rome went down the tubes. And that's how Well, well right. And, and I believe that that was given to them by a, by a Roman emperor who was a bastard named Caracalla. Well, that wouldn't surprise me. I know I haven't studied it uh, in that depth, but I am aware that uh, what the situation was when they started to accept uh, mixed marriages in the Roman Empire. Well, well, Caracalla himself was of mixed, <clears throat> was reportedly of mixed Roman, Phoenician, and Syrian descent, which really isn't mixed because they are the, the Romans and the Phoenicians both have their their um, original heritage in ancient Israel. However, and and the Syrians are a related people, right? However, in Greco-Roman standards, Caracalla would have been a bastard. Because to the Greeks, you're a bastard. Even if you're from two different tribes, you're a bastard. It, even if they're both white. And, and a perfect example of that is Herodotus's calling Cyrus the king of Persia a mule because his father was a Persian and his mother was a Mede. And, and that's the strict Greco Greek standard, right? That, that if you're from two different white tribes, you're still basically a bastard. And, and that's the, that. That is the way they felt about that. But it was Caracalla, early in the third century A.D., I believe, he was the one responsible for granting citizenship to the slaves of Rome because the Romans had gotten themselves into financial trouble, and then they could tax the slaves. And that's because the citizens paid more taxes than the slaves did. So, so they just took all the freed slaves, the freedmen, and made them citizens. All the former slaves were made citizens under this Well, is that what we've done in the United States? We took these southern uh, slaves and, and made them citizens. Well, well, right. And a lot of those free men in Rome, I'm sure the great majority of them were also white. But because of ethnic rivalry, which is natural, even when – I mean, look at Canada, right? What we have, the British Canadians and the French Canadians are, are, are constantly at odds with each other, and they're all white. Yeah, you know, and, and that's just the way it is. Look at the, um, the, the Slavs and the Germans along the, the Central Europe, and, and they're all white. And, and in some cases, the Slavs look blonder than the Germans, but, um, but, but yeah, but, but there's terrible ethnic rivalry there. So, so we would have the same thing in ancient Rome, and all these freedmen 
would suddenly become citizens, they wouldn't really care for the the um the the race of the Romans as much as the native Romans would. But the Romans were wearing themselves down with constant imperial warfare. Yeah, well, which is what the British did. They lost their empire at the World War II, right? Yeah, I quoted Malachi uh, uh, chapter one verses two and three on uh, on page two, and 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 I, I said, uh, you know, uh, Yahweh uh, hates uh, mule people with a passion. And uh, then he proves it by saying, uh, uh, I have loved you, Israel, saith Yahweh, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith Yahweh? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. And isn't this what's going to happen to all these people that... Uh, uh, that, well, well, every plant that Yahweh didn't plant will be rooted up, and and that includes every bastard, because you're either a son or a bastard, right? And Yahweh didn't plant bastards. Right. Their very existence is a violation of his law. Well, well let me go into this. Yeah, you know, this is – I'm going to read I, – I, I, this is for um, – this is for fun, right? I mean, I hate reading this. I hate giving it any credence at all, but you do have it in your paper, and, and it's sitting here in front of me. And, and this is what the Nubian Times, and, and I'm going to read Clifton's words here, says about Charlotte. And, and Clifton wrote this. He said, again, I find myself in a position where I am forced to delay the exposition of his series, my series on Yahweh's marriage to the 12 tribes of Israel, to correct some false propaganda that is circulating in Israel identity, this is ridiculous, which originated with the enemy. So far I have received complaints from a man whom I consider a friend in Michigan and a lady in Kentucky who heard this, this repeat of this propaganda, right? I also received a strange letter with no return address from Fort Wayne, Indiana, dated August 2nd, 2011. On opening the envelope among five other printed pages, I found the front, the front page, the letter-sized page of the Nubian Times. Volume 5, Issue 3, March 2003, with the lead story, Black Women in History. First mentioned, uh, all I could think of is Aunt Jemima. First mentioned with a somewhat blurred photograph was Ida Silver Eisenhower, with a 15-line description, who being part Canaanite Jew, she probably had some Negro blood. Second, which I, meaning Clifton, considered to be untrue, is a column with what appears to be Two retouched, blurry photographs of the painting of Charlotte of Mecklenburg, accompanied with three li 33 lines of the author's commentary stating, and this is from the Nubian Times, so please don't attribute this to me ever. The King of England during the American Revolution was George III, who married Charlotte of Mecklenburg Strelitz in 1761. She was, well, well, first, yeah, yeah, okay, that's okay. She was a black woman who gave him 15 children, nine sons and six daughters, with their elder son, George IV, also becoming King of England. Buckingham Palace was built for her. Several cities and counties in the United States are named after Charlotte and her birthplace of Mecklenburg. If you read this in Charlotte, North Carolina, if you're black, I guess, be proud, take your shirt off, and fly it like a helicopter again. 
Well, which, of course, they, they could never envision a helicopter until a white man invented one. Our sister, they say, sister, like the Negroes say in the ghetto, our sister Charlotte has been traced to a Moorish branch of the Portuguese aristocracy, as if such a thing ever occurred, ever happened. Charlotte's granddaughter was Victoria the Queen, from whom the Victorian era was named. Queen Victoria's great-granddaughter is the present Queen Elizabeth of England. When you were, this is still from the Nubian times, when you were working with the premise that one drop of black blood makes you black, a whole lot of Negroes trying to pass yo, whatever that's supposed to mean. March is supposed to be International Month of the Women. The, this month we focus on black women globally. So what we have here is this claim that Charlotte of Mecklenburg was black only because six generations before her, one woman came from the Portuguese nobility who was one of her ancestors. But what's funny about this is that that one Portuguese woman was also the ancestor of many other kings and queens and dukes and duchesses and princes and princesses in Europe, but there's not a hint that any one of them are black. That's just crazy. So, so they're going to single out this one woman because they figure that they could convince us, and that's because one painter made a bad painting of, of this Charlotte of, Mech, of, of Mecklenburg. That, that's incredible. That, that's um, and, and for somebody in Israel identity to buy that line, that they just have to be. That, that, that that's I, I can't imagine it. I, I'm sorry. That's just incredible. That's ridiculous. They have to be stark raven mad. Yeah, they have to be stopped raving mad, yes. First of all, it was Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, who taught the Victoria adequate good manners. So it should have been called the Alberton area, but we mustn't let mud be splashed on the ladies, not even uh, Victoria. It is obvious to me that the Nubian Times is a an N-word publication, and they are trying to claim things that don't belong to them. I checked the Internet, and they are still publishing the Nubian Times. It is still formatted exactly as the copy that no name sent me. Uh, When I think about it, who other than an N-word would have an issue to make uh, a copy from? This shows uh, that some people are not very careful what sources they collect from what sources they collect their data. I have good reason to believe that the Nubian Times is uh, is deliberate misinformation aimed at the Negroes, edited by Canaanite Jews, uh, whom Joshua Christ labeled as liars and. I, uh, one of my proofreaders uh, told me to put in here Congressional Record, Volume 103, uh, page uh, 8559. I looked it up, and sure enough, it was uh, a quote from uh, Marion Fagan on the subject. Uh, it, it was it, it was at least an indirect. Uh, um, comment along the same subject. 
and and the uh, on the internet they kind of acted like uh, maybe it wasn't really in the congressional record, but I'll bet it is. <clears throat> it just so happens that I have my own copy of the same photograph of the painted picture of Charlotte in a 9 by 11 inch book entitled National Portrait Gallery History of the Kings and Queens of England uh, professionally printed on the best paper available in my library. Uh, my, long, my lifelong occupation for uh, 53 years was barbering and photography uh, including re-photography, was one of my major hobbies. So I have the capability of analyzing the photograph of the painting of Charlotte more closely than most, especially uh, when I place her picture uh, from this book under a powerful lighted magnifying lens. I also found the same uh, painting of Charlotte um, on several websites, uh, on the internet. At one website, her uh, painting uh, took up about one-eighth of the screen, of the computer screen, <coughs> and another, uh, and, and, the, uh, and I noticed uh, when I placed a cursor on the painting, a plus sign appeared showing that it could be enlarged. When I enlarged it, it filled up about half of the screen, and another plus sign appeared, so I enlarged it again, whereupon Charlotte's painting filled up 100% of the screen for close inspection. But from these various inspections, the lighted uh, magnifying lens worked best. Uh, and what I found should prove once and for all uh, that Charlotte was a pure-blooded Caucasian white woman. I first started barbering in the Navy in 1945 in the Philippines on an island uh, ship repair base named Manicani, which I had, uh, which rather, which had a complement of about 4,000 men of all manner of special craftsmen and equipment to support the dry docks there. A few months later, I was transferred to a Navy tanker named the Monongahela. Excuse me. <coughs> Monongahela, where I became the official barber for the crew of the ship. Among the crew, there were uh, three or four Negroes, and I was duty-bound to cut their hair. I soon discovered that it was impossible to draw a comb through their hair as one could do with a white man. One could, uh, all one could do was to jab the points of the teeth of, of the comb into the mass of intertwined tangled hair and lift it a bit and cut off a little hair. It's similar to trimming the bushes outside of one's house. It becomes a matter of sculpturing rather than styling. Then in the 1960s, I owned my own and managed my own barber shop in Fostoria, Ohio, when suddenly I received a notice from the Ohio State Barber Board 
that any licensed barber who refused to cut Negro's hair would be prosecuted. To scare all the, uh, the Ohio barbers and beauticians into compliance, a law ca case was brought uh, against a Lima, Ohio beautician for not giving service to an N-word. You know, I'm using, uh, they they say uh, you, you shouldn't use the N-word. You know, you've got to be in, uh, in politically, uh, you don't dare be politically incorrect. So if, if I can't call them nigger, I'll call them N-word. So that's why I'm doing it. Whereupon the judge awarded the N-word, uh, the beautician's business, business lock, stock, and barrel. Before this, in 1949, I worked at a, worked the second chair in a two-chair barber shop in Bowling Green, Ohio, right across the street from the Bowling Green State University. One day, the Bowling Green State University sent one of its uh, officials uh, to the owner-manager, Melvin Munn, uh, to request that his shop, which included me, would start cutting the hair of the N-words attending the university. Uh, neither uh, Melvin nor I were very enthusiastic about this idea. <coughs> but the officer from the university had a tone of threatened law action in his request. Melvin and I talked this situation over and not wanting to see Melvin sued, I told him I'd cut the N-word's hair uh, in the Navy, and if he could handle it, uh, I could uh, grudgingly go along. After about three months, uh, I found a different uh, job of barbering. Uh, getting back to the warning from the Ohio State uh, Barber Board in the early 60s, operating my own barber shop, I avoided every uh, Negro that I could, but if confronted while uh, witnesses were present that could testify against me, I would reluctantly cut their hair. Fortunately, until uh, February 1998, <clears throat> when I finally retired, I was able to keep the N-word problem to a minimum. The reason for uh, giving the reader some... Uh, of my background is because I don't want anyone try, uh, trying to tell me that I don't know what the, uh, in hell I am talking about. <coughs> um, uh, would you want to read the next? <laughs> well, well, you're just yeah, yeah. You know what you're the point that you're driving at is that you barbered for almost fifty years, right? Yeah, you were a barber yeah. for over 50 years, from 1945 to 1998, and you cut the hair of many Negroes as well as many white people. Uh, I mean, you didn't want to cut the hair of Negroes, but you were just compelled to, whether it be in the Navy or, or in business in Ohio, you, you, you had not much choice because the state compelled you to cut the hair of Negroes. So you're f very familiar with the hair of Negroes, and, and because you're also a, a, a – um, your hobby is portrait photography and re-photography, and you're very intimate with that, you can tell that this Queen Charlotte's hair is by no way Negro hair, right? Right. I mean, that's the point that you're getting to, that, that this um, – Re-photography and, and um, 
the study of this photograph, there's no way that this hair of this woman belongs to a Negro. I, I have. To, I, I'm going to read the rest of of, of um, what you have here about Charlotte's hair, but I'd like to give a rundown first. Yeah, go ahead. On, go ahead. on, on Charlotte's lineage, right? Because if this woman's a Nubian, then there should be an awful lot of Nubians running around Mecklenburg, right? Queen Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg. Her father was Duke Charles Louis Frederick of Mecklenburg, and the prince he was his he had another title, Prince of Mirau, and he was also a lieutenant colonel in the empire and in, in the Holy Roman Emperor's army at the time. Right, Europe was ruled by the Holy Roman Empire at this time. Now Mecklenburg is actually. It's one of the northernmost provinces of Germany. It lies between Pomerania, which is um, west of Prussia. Then you have Mecklenburg, and then you have Hanover. And, and Hanover, Hanover is um, the, the northernmost province of northwesternmost province of Germany before you get into Denmark, right? So, so um, well, well, modern day using modern day borders because they've changed often. That now Mecklenburg is a north of Brandenburg, which is the province where Berlin is, and and Mecklenburg was settled by the Wends as well as by the the Prussian and, and Germanic tribes. Right. Charles had for a wife Princess Elizabeth Albertine of Saxe. Hildburghausen, and she was the daughter of Ernest Frederick I, the Duke of Saxe-Hildburghausen. For children, they had Duchess Christiane of Mecklenburg, Duchess Caroline of Mecklenburg, Duke Adolf Friedrich IV of Mecklenburg, Duchess Elizabeth Christine of Mecklenburg, Duchess Sophia Louise of Mecklenburg, Duke Charles II of Mecklenburg, Duke Ernst Gottlieb Albert of Mecklenburg, Duchess Charlotte of Mecklenburg, which is who we're talking about, Duke Gotthelf of Mecklenburg, and Duke George Augustus of Mecklenburg. And, and the point I'm trying to make is if Charlotte was part black, then the entire German nobility is part black. But we don't see a whole lot of Nubians running around northern Germany, do we, at, at this time? I mean, it just it just didn't happen. How the hell could Charlotte be part black? Well, you know, uh, uh, Charlotte and um, Queen Charlotte and uh, uh, King George III, uh, they had several boys and several girls. Well, their first son um, was uh, George IV, and his picture is in that book. And you got to be stark raving mad if you say that he's got any Negro in him at all. And then another son that they had was... Uh, uh, William, uh, uh, he, he uh, was king for a while, not very long, King William the Fourth, and they had they had the same wavy, not not kinky hair like a nigger, but they had the same wavy hair like a Caucasian uh, would have. Uh, and uh, I don't know whether you know it or not, but uh, whether or not if you're a Caucasian and whether you have straight 
or you have a wavy or maybe even kind of uh, curly hair but not kinky like a nigger, there is a muscle that goes to each uh, hair follicle called the erector pili. And if that erector pili is fairly strong, it'll it'll bend the hair follicle over and it'll come out. Uh, it, it comes out in a, a circular form, or you know, in a bent form, like a, a bent extrusion or something like that. And that's what determines uh, if you're a white person, if you have fairly straight hair, or if you have wavy hair, or Maybe even sometimes quite curly, but and you can still get a comb through it, but not a nigger's hair. And then also the negro's hair is flat. Uh, the hair of a white man is round. Now it might be slightly oval if they have uh, wavy hair because that extrusion is going to come out. Uh, it's just like. Uh, uh, like in a plant where they extrude aluminum, you know, and they have a dye, and they they run that hot aluminum or hot plastic or whatever. And if that dye has um, got a little bend in it, you know, purposely, well, that's that's a rod will come out there or whatever the extrusion is, it'll come out in a curve. If the dye is perfectly straight, it'll come out straight. Well, that's that's the way the hair on the head does. Now, the hair for both uh, King George IV and William IV. The children of Charlotte of Mecklenburg, right? <laughs> that they were the sons of Charlotte of Mecklenburg. Yeah, they'd be the children of um, Charles III and uh, and Queen Charlotte. They they both have wavy hair, just at, at the same degree as what she had. And um, well, well, I know a lot of white people with wavy and curly hair. That doesn't make them Negroes. Negroes don't have loose curls on their heads. They never do. And and Charlotte clearly just had hair with very loose curls. Yes, right. And and her hair, if if it was, um, you know, the people. Uh, I see we aren't going to get clear through this, but uh, the rest of what I wrote here, I mean. Just wait for uh, my October edition of the Washington Teaching Letter, and you can read the rest of it. Well, well, the bottom line is that the portrait that they try to use to try to say that Queen Charlotte was a Nubian was painted by a, a portrait painter named, painter named Alan Ramsey, right? Yes. And, and, and he, Alan Ramsey was an abolitionist. Yeah. So he tried to take... The assumption that that um that that Queen Charlotte was part black because she had one ancestor who may have been a Moor, and and make her black to use her as a a um in, in his abolitionist political agenda. Well, he probably was reading uh, Shakespeare, you know, and. and uh... His play uh, Othello, you know, where they had a, a black um, playing the part of a Moor. Yeah, yes. Othello is always portrayed by a black man, and there's no way that a real Othello could have been black because the Moors were white. Right. 
and, and Shakespeare was just wrong about that, and, and all of his copyists who had produced that play had been wrong, because they always portray him, Othello, as a Negro, and Othello being a Moor would have had to have been white at the time when he supposedly lived. But, you know, you know I, I checked to see who printed this book that I bought. I bought it uh, at, um, uh, what is that company that may handle your uh, book uh, if you put the uh, right sticker on it? You're talking about Barnes & Nobles? Or? Yeah, I bought it at Barnes & Noble. It was marked way down, and I kind of wanted some pictures of the royal families, you know, the different, and, and have some reference on that. And I, for, I I bought it for, uh, you know, it was it was marked way way down. And um, <coughs> but I checked to see who printed it, and it was a it was a Jewish uh, um, printing house. And then, then what I found when I got to checking them out on the internet, they're into this thing. You remember that Jew over there in Sweden, and she was running this uh, organization she called Paidea, and that they had. Yeah, to, yes. Yeah, they're well, related to her. The people that printed the book of portraits are related to her. So, yeah. so there are other portraits of. Charlotte of Mecklenburg, and, and she looks like nothing but a white woman, right? I mean, I'm looking at a portrait that Wikipedia has online of her right now, and, and it's it's a 1767 portrait by another painter named Coates, Francis Coates, and, and she's absolutely white. Mm-hmm. But it, it looks like Alan Ramsey drew her purposely with a wide mouth and a large jaw so that she would look like a Nubian and, and he also and, put a, sh- a shadow on one side of her nose to kind of make it appear like if it was flat. And, and the other pictures of her, the other portrait pictures of her, she does not have those features. And so what I did to cover that up, that shadow, I took a white piece of paper and put over that, and I found out that the, that the um, right side of her nose was perfect. And and so the only thing you can assume is that if if the right side is perfectly formed, the 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 the, um, the right side is too. Well, well, the Alan Ramsey picture is debatable, but the mouth is very wide and and the eyes. But even though she was painted with very light skin. She appears to have some odd features that might be interpreted as mulatto features. But the other portraits of Charlotte of Mecklenburg, which were done by other painters, and and John Zoffany in in 1771, and, and Francis Coates in 1767, she doesn't look like a Nubian at all. And, and I will, um, when I post this podcast, on org this evening, I, I will include all three portraits, Yahweh willing. Uh-huh. Well, along with the podcast. So, so that people can see them all. I, I mean, they're right on Wikipedia or under Charlotte of Mecklenburg, but I'll keep them on my website also. Well, it, 
I'll, I'll tell the people that's listening that um, I'll have three more lessons besides this one, and we've only gotten through about one-third of what I had on this lesson. Well, well right, and, and I'm sure they'll be good. The, the bottom line is that the Moors were white originally, that most of the Moors in Spain, even though they were Muslims, and even though Islam um, accepts and, and actually promotes race mixing, most of the Moors in Spain, although some of them were Arabs and there were a lot of Jews there, most of the Moors in Spain must have been white, even though there was a, a, an Arab element, no doubt. And the Portuguese royal house, at the time that Charlotte of Mecklenburg's female ancestors came from that house, they were definitely white in, in the 14th century. They, they weren't, uh, we can't assume that they were one bit mixed. And, and it's basically a, a slander to do so without having definitive proof, right? Yeah, and I would uh, challenge the guy that, uh, and I told you who it was, and, and you know, I'd rather re really not say, <clears throat> but I would challenge him to get some evidence to prove that she w she was Negroid. Well, well, right, and and that's not going to be able to um, be obtained. But but if you look at the Francis Coates and the John Zoffany portraits of Charlotte of Mecklenburg, and and they're absolutely white. And Alan Ramsey, who drew her with features that might be interpreted as mulatto features, he was an abolitionist, and, and he had an agenda behind his painting. Yeah, I had to shut the phone off because I'm coughing. <laughs> okay, well, with that, uh, I mean, you're having a hard time, and I'm sorry that you have the flu, and I hope that you're feeling better. But with that, I, I will, um, uh, unless Severus wants to call in in the next minute and, and make some comments because he knows an awful lot about the Moors and, and about medieval Spain, and, and maybe he could contribute. But if not, I'm not going to compel him. <clears throat> but, but um, well, we could call it a night, right? Okay. Well, thanks, thanks for helping me get through it, Bill. Okay, Clifton, and and thank you, and and Cheryl, don't turn me off yet. The the um the format here is that I will accept calls on a Saturday night program after the general presentation is over with, and I haven't done enough to explain that. On the Friday night program, I'm not going to take calls. That's my Bible presentation night. And, and taking calls would just be um, what would work against what I'm trying to accomplish there. But on the Saturday night program, yes, uh, I will accept calls after the the, um, the meat of the presentation is um, has has been presented. Right? The um, I'll be here next Friday night. With Matthew chapter 27, I'm also going to expound more on, on a few things that I didn't get to cover last night on Matthew chapter 26. I think I'm going to try to get two more weeks out of my Matthew presentation rather than rush it and, and get it done next week, which would be rushing it. I have a lot more things to talk about, right? So, so I'll be here next Friday with Matthew 27. I'll be here next Saturday. I'm not entirely sure of what I'm going to cover yet. It will either be um, 
it, it might be something new or, or it might be one of my papers again from Chris Degenia because I really want to get all of my Chris Degenia papers into podcasts and, and um, have audio versions of them. Thank you for listening tonight and, and um, praise Yahweh and good night. <laughs>